And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. got a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. It's hard to believe that a journey that we began back in September of last year is coming to an end, our journey through the book of Romans. And during this journey, God has taught us some incredible truths from His Word. In chapters 1 through 3, God told us that we have all sinned against Him, and because of that, we are all guilty. The Bible says all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But in chapters 4 and 5, we're told that God loves us in spite of our sin, and he has offered us a gift, a gift of eternal life. And if we will place our faith in him, turn from sin, and trust in Jesus, we can be saved. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In chapters 6 through 8, we discover that, that God not only offers us forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, God literally gives us a new life. Through the power of his Holy Spirit coming to live in us, he changes us from the inside out. And he not only gives us the desire to live for him, through his spirit living in us, he gives us the power to live for him. Now, when we get to chapters 9, 10, and 11, it almost seems like this is kind of an interlude in, in Paul's letter here. But in chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul deals with this tension that, that mankind has struggled with since the beginning of time. And that's the tension between God's sovereignty and man's free will. God is in control. God is seated on the throne. Nothing happens apart from God either causing it to happen or allowing it to happen. And everything that happens is moving toward God's perfect plan. God is sovereign. And yet, he has given us a free will. He's given us the ability to choose whether we accept him or whether we reject him. And, and some of us say, how can you say that God is sovereign in control and yet he has given us free will? Well, well, the way that I can say that is because the Bible teaches it. And even though it is difficult for us to put those two things together, we don't have the mind of God and we need to trust God in that. And then in chapter 12, Paul begins to tell us how God transforms us so that then he can use us to transform our world. 
And what is amazing is as we've looked through this entire book, we've discovered that God's truths are timeless. It it doesn't matter whether we're living in the first century. It doesn't matter whether we're living in the 21st century. God's word applies to our life and speaks to where we are at today. And we've also discovered that God's timing is impeccable. You see, we have just been systematically going through God's Word. That's the way that I teach. But God in His sovereignty will always have us at Scripture that speaks to where we are. It may be where we are as a world, where we are as a nation, where we are as a church, or where we are as individuals. And we've seen that over and over again as we have come to a passage of Scripture in the book of Romans, and it speaks to exactly what we are facing in our day. But today we come to the end. We're crossing the finish line. We're wrapping up this book. And so if your Bible is open, I want you to follow along as we read this entire chapter. And let me remind you that this is a letter. Paul has written a letter to the church at Rome. And in chapter 16, he is wrapping up this letter. And so this is what he says. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church at Syncria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus, in fact, They once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them. And so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend, Eponidas. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Adronicus and Judea my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apellus, a good man whom Christ approves. And give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Give my greetings to Tryphena and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Give my greetings to Asyncretitus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patropus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and to Olympus, and all the believers who meet with them. Greet each other in Christian love. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. And now, I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interest. By smooth talk and and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. 
but everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings. As do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, and my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, send my greetings too as one of the Lord's followers. Gaius says hello to you. He is my host and also serves as host to the whole church. Erastus, the city treasurer, sends you his greetings. And so does our brother Cordus. Now, all glory to God, who was able to make you strong, just as my good news says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles. Plan kept secret from the beginning of time, but now... As the prophets foretold and and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now as we get to this last chapter, Paul teaches us three truths that I believe not only speak to the church in Rome 2,000 years ago, I believe these truths speak to us today. Here's truth number one. The family of God is made up of a diverse group of people. Let me say that again. The family of God is made up of a diverse group of people. 33 people are mentioned by name in this chapter. Along with two households, two families, and three churches. Men and women are mentioned. Singles and married are mentioned, Jews and Gentiles, free and slave. Some were rich, some were poor, some were educated, others were not. But they were all brought together by one thing, the blood of Jesus. You see, these people were as different as night and day, but there was one thing that united them. There was one thing that brought them together, and that was the blood of Jesus. Now, you may not understand how amazing that was, but you need to understand the world in which Paul wrote was a divided world. It was divided in a variety of ways. It was divided by race. It was divided by gender. It was divided by socioeconomic backgrounds. I think a quote from Plato helps us better understand the world during Paul's day. Plato lived about 200 years before Paul wrote this letter, and yet this philosophy still was prevalent in Paul's day. This is what Plato said. He said, I thank God that I was born Greek, not barbarian. That's the racial divide. Free man, not slave. That's the class or the socioeconomic divide. And man, not woman. That's the gender divide. Now you need to understand Plato was one of the most influential men of his day. And he is one of the most influential philosophers throughout human history. Many people still follow the philosophies of Plato today. And yet, here was a man that said, the Greek is better than anyone else. A man is better than a a woman. Someone who is free is better than someone who is a slave. Now, they believed the same thing in Paul's day. 
There was a prayer that every Jewish man would pray pretty much every day. Here is the prayer. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Here were these Jewish men, followers of the one true God, who would pray every day, Lord, I thank you that I'm a Jew, I'm not a Gentile. I thank you that I'm a man, not a woman. I thank you that I am free, I'm not a slave. They lived in a divided world with racial, socioeconomic, gender tensions. And the crazy thing is, we have those same tensions, we have those same divisions today. There are times that it seems like our divisions get a little better, but then things happen and they seem to get worse. It seems like, especially in our country today, we are deeply divided along so many lines. And yet Paul wrote that in the midst of the division of his day and in the midst of the division of our day, that Christ has planted a church where there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. We are all one in Christ. That's what he says in Galatians. In other words, Christ, the cross, the blood of Jesus removes every barrier that separates us. And what is amazing is this. Nothing had changed for the people that Paul was writing to except for their encounter with Jesus Christ. Their situation hadn't changed. Some were still free. Some were still slaves. And you know what was even more amazing? They were worshiping side by side the slave and the master in the same place. Some were Jews Others were Gentiles, people who had hated one another before, and yet now they were worshiping together in the same place. Were there issues that they needed to resolve? Absolutely. Did it sometimes get messy as they waded through life? You better believe it. And that's why Paul addressed these issues in his letters. Do you remember, the? if you've read the New Testament, there's a letter called Philemon. Remember that letter? You heard of that letter? That's a letter about a runaway slave who came to faith in Christ and Paul encourages him to go back to his owner who is a Christian and then he tells the owner to no longer treat him like a slave but treat him like a brother. You see, Paul was dealing with these tensions that were in the world at that time. And sometimes it got messy. It wasn't perfect. But as they applied the Word of God together, God used them to change the world. Back in that day, there were no Jewish churches and Gentile churches. There were no free churches and slave churches. There were just churches the people worship together today we have white churches and we have black churches and we have hispanic churches and everything in between but understand this isn't found in scripture back in the 70s in the height of the church growth movement 
there was this thing called the homogeneous principle. The homogeneous principle was simply stated, like reaches like. If you want to grow a church, you need to seek to reach out and attract people who are like you. That's the best way to grow a church. Now, that may be a sociological principle that is true. It may be true that like reaches like, but what you need to understand is that the gospel would call that Satan's deception to divide us. Because God doesn't want us to be black churches and white churches and Hispanic churches and and middle class churches and upper class churches and, and lower class churches. God wants us to be the church John Stott, who is a a Bible scholar, in his book on Romans, said this about Romans 16. He said, heterogeneity is the essence of the church, since it is the one and only community in the world in which Christ has broken down all dividing walls. So we must declare that a homogenous church is a defective church. Did you hear what that is saying? What that is saying, and I want you to listen, is saying that a church like ours, and even though we have people of color in our church, and we have black, and we have Hispanic, and we have, we have Asian, and, and, and a variety of different nationalities and races, because we are predominantly white, we are a defective church. Stott would say that Brooklyn Baptist, a great church, but it is predominantly black. They would say, he would say, that is a defective church. And what you need to understand is certainly nothing like that was found in Scripture. Those are things that we have done over time because of our divisions Because of our divide, we have taken what what Jesus died for to make us one people, and somehow, someway, we've become divided again. And that is sinful. We can't do that. We need to understand that God wants us to be a diverse people. God wants us to be a diverse people. Church, and there's a reason for that. Two reasons. The first reason is his family is diverse. God's family is made up of all different kinds of people from all different races, all different backgrounds, all different intellects, all different experiences. And when we get to heaven, we are going to be worshiping the king side by side. And God established his church to be a picture of that on earth. And when we're not, we are not being the church that God wants us to be. The second reason I believe that God wants his church diverse is this. A diverse church is going to make a greater impact. Because we live in a diverse world. You go outside and you go into Target or you go into Walmart or you go into any other store and you walk down the aisles, you're going to see people who look different than you. 
You're going to hear people talk that talk with different accents than you. Some with different languages than you. We're different. We're diverse. And unfortunately, we allow those diversities to divide us when the Bible says that we are to come together in spite of our diversities. Now, Paul begins to to mention all of these names, and I just want to give you a few of them because I think it's important. He starts with Phoebe. Phoebe is the first of seven women mentioned in this chapter And she is the very first person mentioned in this chapter. That's important. That's important. I mean, the very first person that is mentioned is a woman. Why is that? It's because Paul is letting us know that women are of value. Women are of worth. Women have a vital part in the family of God. She is called a deacon, a servant. The word there is diakonos, and in some places the word is translated to, 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 to be an office, the office of deacon, like 2 Timothy 3. In other places, it just describes the, a person who serves. Some people say that Phoebe was a deacon in the church at Synchria. Other people say that she was just a servant. I would say to you, it doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. Those kind of things really shouldn't divide us. And do I have an opinion on it? Yes, I have an opinion. I think everybody has opinions on everything. But I don't let my opinion on that issue divide me from other people who may have a different opinion there. Here's what we know. Phoebe was so trusted by Paul and the church that she was given the task of delivering this letter to the church at Rome. That's a big deal. That means that she was a woman of spiritual maturity. That means that she was a woman of spiritual courage. That means that she was sold out, completely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here was a woman who was mentioned first. And then we have Priscilla and Aquila, two Jews who were tent makers like Paul. Paul said they risked their their lives for him at one point. Paul first met them in Corinth. They were the ones, by the way, who discipled Apollos. And Apollos became one of the most powerful preachers in the early church. They were Jews. Phoebe was, was a Gentile. And then there was Eponidas. Eponidas was the very first person that Paul won to faith in Christ in Asia. I think it's important that Paul remembered him. You never forget that first person you win to faith in Christ. Do you remember the first person you led to faith? I do. I was 12, 13 years old. I can't remember exactly how old. But we were hosting a Billy Graham film in our city And I had been trained in how to share the gospel using the Billy Graham Steps to Peace with God. And when the invitation was given, I had the opportunity to go through that track with a grown man and lead him to pray, giving his life to Jesus. I will never forget that. It's etched in my mind. And it's made an impact on my life. As you read through this chapter, you read the names of slaves. 
You read the names of people who were serving in, in Caesar's household. It's a variety of people from all walks of life. But God brought them together so that they could impact the world. And they did. Listen, God used their diversity for his desire to change the world. And in a couple of hundred years, because of their faith, because of their love for one another, in spite of their differences, they toppled an empire and changed the world. God's family is made up of a diverse group of people. By the way, I want you to listen to me. Look at me. And I know none of you are. But that's why racism and prejudice is such a heinous sin in God's eyes. And you can be racist, you can be prejudiced, whatever race you are. But we have to guard against that. We have to fight against that because it's evil, it's wicked, and it's from the pit of hell. God's family is made up of a diverse group of people. Here's the second truth you need to understand. There are always those people who will want to divide and destroy God's family. Listen to what Paul said here. He said, watch out for those who cause division and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what has been taught. Now, Paul isn't talking about being divided over small things, nitpicking things, style of worship. You know, whether you should eat meat offered to idols or not. He's, he's not talking about those kind of things. He's talking about teachings that divide. He's talking about teaching things in the church that are in contradiction to the gospel. He's talking about teaching things in the church that are in opposition to the word of God. The Bible makes it very clear that we must guard the faith that was been, has been delivered to us. We must stand true on the Word of God. In, in Jude's epistle, Jude says this. He says, some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. You see, that's one of those false teachings that come in. The false teaching that says God's grace is so good and God's grace is so great that we can continue in sin. It doesn't matter whether you sin or not. The Bible says that that is a false teaching. People who teach that have wormed themselves into the church. And they are smooth and they're cunning and their words are easy to listen to. But we must watch out for them. Paul says we must stay away from them. You see, we must always be careful what we listen to. I want you to listen very carefully. Not every book that is in a Christian bookstore is a Christian book. Not every book that you can pick up in a Christian bookstore needs to be picked up and read by you. Because there are some books in there that are teaching false teachings that will lead you astray from the teaching of the Word of God. That's why it's so important for you to systematically, regularly get into the Word of God, studying it every day so that you can have discernment 
to know truth from error. Paul says, watch out. Stay alert. And then he says, stay away. Don't let those people affect your faith. Okay? And then there's one final truth he says here, and that's this. Anyone can become a part of God's family. That's what he ends with. He's talking about this mystery. And Paul talks about this mystery several times in his letters. And the mystery is this. The mystery is that that God's family, the Jews, are not all of God's family. God has opened up his family to everyone, to Jew and Gentile alike. We can now all become a part of God's family. And Paul ends his letter with these words so that you and I will know that it is our task, it's our responsibility to go out into our world and let everyone know that whoever believes can become a part of God's family. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background may be. It doesn't matter what you've done by faith. You can become a part of God's eternal family. And that's our task. That's the commission that you and I have been given. To go into our world sharing that gospel. Bringing as many with us to the throne of God. I've got to tell you, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. But I cannot but believe that the time is drawing nigh. And Jesus' coming is upon us. And we need to take advantage of every moment we have. Whether that's several months or several years or longer. We need to make sure that we leverage our life. Telling people that there's a God that loves them. There is a Savior that paid for their sins. And if they will humble themselves and pray and trust Him, He will save them. That's our job. I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed. That's the job of those of us who are Christians. But maybe you're here today and you haven't given your life to Christ. Maybe you're listening online, watching online, and you haven't given your life to Christ. And you know that's something you need to do right now. That's where you're at. You know that you need to give your life to Christ, and you're ready to humble yourself before Almighty God and acknowledge your sin and place your faith in Him and surrender your life to Him. Then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to Him right now. And, oh, God, I come to you today. Acknowledging I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. I've lived life my way. God, forgive me. I don't want to live in rebellion anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross to pay for all my sin. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. Today, I'm asking you to save me. I'm placing my faith in you. 
I'm surrendering my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Take control of my life. From this moment on, Jesus, I'm yours. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Amen.